Hello and welcome to Ears Wide Open, a podcast that is a project of The Open Book, the world's most beautiful second-hand bookshop at 201 Ponsonby Road in Auckland. This is a special edition, our Christmas gala reading. There were a number of readers, you will hear them. The rules were that they had three minutes each, and if they went over three minutes, I rang a bell. You will hear that happen a couple of times. Uh, the readers that you will hear, well first you will hear Alex Taylor singing and unfortunately I didn't turn on the recording to catch all of his amazing performance. Then you will hear Michaela Curtis, Megan France, Kim Tyree, Sabon Ang, Craig Foltz, Rachel O'Connor, Gina Cole, Tom Romeo, Sophie Van Vardenberg, Paula Morris, Lisa Samuels and Josie Shapiro. These were all people who had read at the open book during 2018. We invited them all back for a gala reading. Enjoy. rises from my tongue like tree growth, a poplar or a tea coca in a cloudless sky. Once in the air the roots are disengaged, the sound becomes a stone vessel landing easily and assuredly on the earth. There is no sense that a boulder of sound will ever release its form and crumble into the ground beneath it. Instead, these boulders scattered on the, on the landscape hum, holding together their form through the overlay of tonal fluctuations. I can make no further connection. When next I speak, the chord vibrations spin silk threads leaving trails wet like saliva. This sound weaves connection 
a single sound interrupted only by lip curls, tongue curls, and lapses of concentration. This time, my voice eases itself up against the atmosphere and dissolves, evaporates. Was I ever here at all? The rocks in their weather resilience hold together an ever-living memory, those things ever said, hard-shelled and concrete. The threads network the sounds, weaving the words alongside one another to make living a cordial. Echoes linger as flight lines. Thank you. Megan France is next. <laughs> this poem is called Evening Star. The road to Tefetu is made at night along an unlit path in black-heeled boots. But do you really know where you're going? Remember, we've been here before, and it will be fine. It will be fine. At reception, the nurses are kind. At the locked doors, they are not. We can't let you through because you just never know what you'll see, and some people might find that disturbing. Okay, but from where I'm standing, it's hard to tell who is in and who is out. The road to Tefetu is made alone in the lull of a Saturday afternoon between rain showers and the same black-heeled boots. This time they let him out. We stand out front with a Somalian smoking. My brother opens his pouch. I shake my head. I try not to do that anymore. Before I leave, I give him a tray of sushi, touch his cheek, I love you, I love you. See in his thick lash eyes a shadow, as if he remembers me from when we were children, as if he sees who I am. I walk away and he says not unkindly, you're a weird little girl, why did you come? Um, do I have time for another? You do? Yep. This one is called uh, Meat Men, and it's very short. Alabama tryhards, short hair, back and sides, long at front, Designed for crushed girls who do not speak, who brush past curtains of cheap marine towel, under clothesline, towards abattoir smoke. Thank you. I think we don't have Simon with us. Nope. And we don't have Stephanie. Steve? Nope. Kim! It's oh, you! That was quick. I know! <laughs> Kim Parry. Welcome. Kia ora tato. Um, I'm going to play a cover of a song by the Decemberists. It's based on a Japanese folk tale, and it's called Crane Wife 3. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
Kia koutou katoa. Kia ora. Kia ora, Kim. Te atahua tō laiata. Ted, no, Ted. No, Ted's not here. Whilst Ted, since Ted's not here, I might just say something else, which is that this amazing bookshop, I stand up here if you ever come to events and you see me, but actually this is basically all that I do. And the person in blue sitting over there, uh, named Sharon, is the person who manages this shop and basically keeps it all running. So all of the things that happen here that are not just sitting in front of a microphone, most of what Sharon does. So I think we should just have a round of applause. Ron Ang, welcome. This is a poem called To an American Stranger by way of an answer. My roots are in Manila, that's above Bali and to the right of Bangkok. You might know the area. My grandmother was a feisty Tagala. 500 years after the fact, into a troop of kids wearing jeans, she still told of her great-grandfather's great-grandfather who, wearing the scarlet cloth around his gold-studded, gloriously brown skin, threw a spear into a pale young conquistador, killing him. So I will never say, what do you mean, taking offense, when you ask me? No, I mean, where are you really from? As if I were a charming chanterelle, with the shame of my grandmother who lived through the fall of Corridor, and slept in a cave during the war. Yes, my English is surprisingly good. Our babies train for TOEFL straight from the womb so they can fly away and feed the motherland. <laughs> a is for the apple that never grew in our yard. B is for baby blue-eyed. For parties, I was taught a trick. How to read Jane running after Dick. Look, Jane, look. I looked at Jane, mesmerized by her blonde curls. Everything in her life looked golden. No, I am not a maid nor a nurse, but I know a mother who sings at night to a foreign child while her own lie milkless at home. She was a schoolteacher, a city scholar. Still, she faced choice, dollar or peso. The exchange rate was always high for heroes. But through the veins of our women flow the blood of Tandamsora. We do what we have to do. We soar. Yes, families live under bridges, and children run naked begging for change. The coin, not the concept, for they are too young to know. But no, we are not all boondocks and beggars. There are proper houses with garages and swimming pools and gates. There are high-rises and trains. And while land is measured by hectares for rice and tobacco and sugarcane, and the cities are malls larger than the Vatican, and everyone who has money carries a baton and eats Italian. Yes, our poor always die poor, and our rich are so eternally. But we love kissing the archbishop's ring, and we walk the entire length of the church on our knees, for some, some fortunes can swing. A president can turn prisoner midterm. An orphan can grow into tycoon, all of a sudden like a bonsai breaking out into a tree. All the better if he was born a Lee, Go, or Tan, names that sing across the ocean. Yes, I'm Asian. No, I'm, 
Keep going, keep going, keep going. You've got to have fast. No, I'm not Latina. It is, after all, in Asia. No, I'm not good at math. People in half part of Turkey are Asians as well. Even Russians are Asians. You see, they lumped us all together when white exploration was young and sailors were oppressed by the idea of the foreign. So if you'd like to be a better cartographer than your father and more accurately chart the trenches of my heart, plot my intimate inland tales, follow the river of my blood, trace out the Sierra Cordillera from which I carved my face, you should ask me questions. You should ask. I'm so excited I got to ring the bell. <laughs> I, used to be a, I used to be a debater and I just love it. <laughs> so I set the telephone out right there. Next, Craig Fultz. Please take the stand. Hello. Do we... Uh, show of hands. Do we want a poem? Or something uh, a bit weird? Weird. 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 That was too weird. Well, I'm not sure I can... Okay. <laughs> Here's an idea. Take all the men you've ever met and replace them with all the women you have yet to meet or take all the men you've ever met and replace them with fawns and haphazardly arrange elf Elf, uh, or take all the men you've ever met and forgive their unforgivable and android tendencies. Or take a red object and apply the principles of coherence. Some might call it dancing. Thank you. <laughs> come in, come in, come in, come through. To the wine. Do you want to read more? <laughs> 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 she doesn't want to listen to anyone else reading. She just wants to get to the The Christchurch seaside suburb of my childhood had two schools but one pool. With my five siblings I attended the Catholic school, no pool, and on allocated days therefore our classes were marched two blocks in a uniformed crocodile 
smelly rubber swim caps flabby in our pockets to the state school for swimming lessons. Our hosts lined their boundary fence to herald our arrival. Catholic dogs stink like hogs in their mother's bathing togs. We shuffled past in silence, pitying their pagan souls. <laughs> I think we just never found a good comeback. It was such an odd taunt of its kind, and its incongruity was compounded for me by the fact that I cannot recall ever seeing my mother in a swimsuit. <laughs> she was born in Ohio, surrounded by the vast dry expanse of the Midwest, and she didn't see the ocean until she was 12, and never came to view it with anything but the deepest mistrust. The wild water of the Pacific remained as alien to her as the windy warmth of our New Zealand Christmas. Her family sent us gifts from the US every year, parcels wrapped to our great delight in the American funnies, newspaper pages of colored comic strips that we would smooth flat on the living room floor to read in the lazy idol of Christmas morning. Beyond the open ranch sliders, the sea glittered, the sunlit garden exuded the scent of cut grass. Inside, the luncheon table held all the trappings of an American midwinter feast. Steam fogged my father's glasses as he carved the glistening stuffed bird. At grace, my mother slumped into her chair, sweating profusely. One year, however, the weather gods failed. A fierce southerly engulfed the island, and backyard barbecues were abandoned willy-nilly in the face of the approaching storm. We watched from the windows as the afternoon sky darkened like a burgeoning bruise. The first flakes were tiny, dandruff shaken loose on the wind. They disappeared like damp kisses as they touched earth. But it was snow. My mother, a scarf tied babushka-like over her Christmas hairdo, appeared on our drive, carting the milk crate down to the gate. Eventually, she reappeared inside, her cheeks red apples from the cold, and she made us hot cocoa and cinnamon toast, as though it were a night in July. In the mild again morning of Boxing Day, I spotted the mean boy across the road, out walking the ultimate Christmas present, a black and tan beagle puppy, tail tipped in white. What's his name, I asked. Sparky. But in a brief puff of seasonal spirit, he called over his shoulder. And you? What did Jesus bring you for Christmas? Not a dog, anyway, Catholic or otherwise. But from the house, I heard the sound of the piano and my mother singing a carol in the sweetly fractured voice that 20 years of Paul Moore filter had left to her. Snow, I thought. Snow in December. That's what we got this year. Thank you, Rachel. Gina, Gina Cole. Kia ora tato. This is the beginning of a story called Pigeon Shoot. Somewhere in the plantation, a gust of wind sent a hail of coconuts thumping to the ground. A shiver crawled down the back of Letia's neck as she laid a green and white checkered tablecloth on a pandanus mat. Her son, Sitaveni, drew close to her side. She arranged his favorite food on the tablecloth, golden fried cassava strips, fried eggs, and fresh cut willetti, pale pink flesh glistening on the plate. 
Her eight-year-old daughter Eleanor sat on the woven pandanus mat in an emerald green sulu and stared at her little brother. Sitaveni pulled funny faces at her. Io masu, let's say grace, said Letia. Letia gave thanks for the Christmas holiday they had spent in Fiji, for their safe return home to New Zealand tomorrow, for her brother Wai looking after them in his house, and for Eleanor and Sitaveni's father, Bram. Although she and Bram had separated six months ago, she still included him for the children's sake. Sitaveni eyed the food and waited for his mother to finish. He fidgeted and blinked fast, holding onto his stomach. He was eager to run into the coconut plantation one last time with his uncle Y and his sister. Eleanor folded both arms around her waist and tugged at her clothing. A dim light shone into the rows of spangling on her top, splashing orange reflections into her face and onto the walls around them. Over the past two weeks, she had fallen into the rhythm of village life, finding ways to deal with the horrible yuckies, as she had called them, when they had first arrived, the long drop toilets, the cold showers, and the oily smell of kerosene lamps. Letia felt glad to be spending Christmas time in Fiji, although it was hurricane season, and the weather swung between torrential rain and temperatures so hot you could fry an egg on the bonnet of a car. The children had shed the layers of clothing they wore in the South Island cold. Socks, jerseys, shoes became relics consigned to the suitcases, and they ran free in the sunshine. <laughs> Thank you, Gina. Uh, Tom Romeo, Romeo, I should have asked first. Would you like me to refill your glass? Oh, uh, no. No? <laughs> Thank you. This is from a story that takes place in America on July 20th, 1969. My father's hands were on my head, stroking my hair and whispering my name. So I knew it was time to get up. You're almost ready to go, he said. Hurry now. I dressed and walked downstairs into the glow of the TV. My mother gave me a hug, and I joined my father, who was already sitting on the brown braided rug, close enough that the black and white pictures lit up his face. Are they coming down, I asked, peering at the TV screen, now frozen on the grainy, bug-like image of the Eagle Lunar Module. Here he comes, my grandfather said, sitting on the edge of the couch. You'd like to be there, wouldn't you, Aunt Jen said to my father. Everyone laughed. We all knew she was right. My father wished he could be there. We waited for the newscaster, Walter Cronkite, to tell us the white ghostly shape moving down the screen was Neil Armstrong climbing down a nine-rung ladder. I slid between my father's chest and angled knees and rested my leg, sorry, rested my legs inside his, which twitched in rhythm with each of the astronaut's steps. When Armstrong paused at the last step, his left foot dangling in the shadow of the eagle, my father's leg stiffened. What's happened, I asked. Is something wrong? No one answered. I turned toward the silence and saw puzzled eyes glued to the TV. I thought I might have lost count of his steps and he had more to go. Then he spoke, his voice crackling through the living room. Apollo 11 had landed on the moon hours earlier, but hearing a man's voice and the radio beeps coming from the lunar surface chilled my body with goosebumps. I'm at the foot of the ladder, Armstrong said. The LM footpads are only depressed in the surface about one or two inches. He's trying to make sure there's a bottom, my father said. 
might be cheese after all, my aunt said. Shush, my grandmother said. Please, Jen. Is he scared, I whispered to my father. Maybe a little, he said. Armstrong, now inches from the moon, said, I'm going to step off the LM now. My father's legs twitched and tightened. The surface is fine and powdery, Armstrong said, like powdered charcoal. My father curled his toes. I wiggled mine. It seemed too incredible to believe. His boots appeared to have touched the moon's surface, but neither the astronaut nor the news newscaster had said so yet. I turned to my mother. This time, her eyes were fixed on my father and me. Neil, this is Houston. We're copying. Copying what, I said, swinging my gaze back to the TV. And then we heard it. Armstrong is on the moon, Walter Cronkite proclaimed. My father grinned and squeezed my shoulders, his eyes gleaming. My mother, leaning over the couch with her hands on my grandfather's back, smiled us. Well, we did it, didn't we, Gordo, she said. Copy that, I said. Minutes later, we watched Buzz Aldrin descend the ladder, leap onto the snowy surface of the moon, and utter his first lunar words, magnificent desolation. Thank you, Tom. Um, now is my favorite poet. <laughs> <laughs> and she won a prize this morning. She's horrified that I'm saying these things to you. I don't know what the prize was, but I'm sure it was well deserved. You probably should have won three of them! <laughs> Sophie Van Badenberg. Grace wakes late, and I don't have anything to say, and in the morning all sentences dulled by light, which I have stand shocked, they grow every day. I worry for you because you are worried, the week is big, the milk is bad, the future is staring at you, as if you have an answer for it. You should. Grace appears like a teaspoon when you have run out of teaspoons, dips into your coffee, into your mouth. There are things I cannot do for you. When you are grown, you drink coffee. I am not grown. I am a small hum, a joke, and a song. I don't know how to make good the milk. You must go, Grace, in your buttons in gold, with your handfuls and handfuls of music, your handfuls and handfuls, handfuls and handfuls, so much that there are no commas left to organize you, and it is always time to go. I don't know why she won a cross. <laughs> yeah, actually, the worst in it. This one is called um, Does a Potato Have a Heart? And I really highly recommend writing absurd titles for your pieces. I think they'll be more successful. <laughs> Does a potato have a heart? It's not that I mind about hurting. I just wonder about the anatomy. When I cut into blank flesh, do I nick the aorta? Unstarch my fingers in the kitchen sink and forgive me. At 15, we named our locust before we sliced him, and even though we were meant to see how he breathed, we did not see anything, only inside, which was now everywhere. Were we ever sorry? I don't think so. On my favourite cooking show, they are always saying, you must respect the cut of meat, you must let it rest. That is a very expensive failure, that is a very expensive sauce. We cannot eat that, and so you are going home. The cooks on my favourite cooking show have big faces, and they never want to go home, even though their children... When I am grown up, I will respect the world and everything in it. I will duly in my carrots. I will learn to trust celery, raisins, prawns. I will cut with love everything in my garden so that it grows again. 
Jimmy Duncan scratched his chin and thought he'd mention an error he'd seen creep into our play. The ride out to Northcliffs, O'Sullivan, Casey, MacDonald, leaning into the Atlantic wind, hands in pockets, wondering, but not really finding anything. The tours of factories where we watched other men at work and stuffed our pockets with pipes, cigarettes and bicycle parts. Blackpool, seagulls, Predators with the black teeth, stolen goods in their rotten pockets. Booth winning a box of chocolates at the coconut shy. Glasgow swinging a hammer to send a red flag to the top of the pole, breaking all records. We would thrash Middlesex in the afternoon, 34 mil, and outswim the Woodsiders in the evening at the South Nord Pool. England felt like a place specially created for us to excel. In London, fame was measurable. You could walk around it, look it in the eye, and admire it. So this is the Book of Fame by Lloyd-Jones. Please, this Christmas, think about a New Zealand novel by Lloyd-Jones or Morris G. 40 years anniversary of Plum this year, the great New Zealand novel. Kia ora, everyone. Thank you, Paula. That was awesome. Now, the wonderful Lisa Samuels, please step up. You've got three minutes. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for organizing this Christmas party. Great to be here. I'm going to read three image poems. The story insides emptied deft inventions, dangling rain boots while the branches cut the trees out of the sky. Deep outside metal scraping metro glad hand canvas faces to the breeze. Time, being friendly, peels you off, top to the eyeballs with plusage, a coin that only buys itself, like the uptight man in the bolero, vituperating in the contefe. Hit or miss me, why don't you? The thick paper of soft boyfriends rolls warm dispersals. He's a ready-made crust of life, a sleepy notice, air flossy in the crinkly, soft, fluorescent blue. Red and white fair play dumps its audacity nearer to the mirror, 
heart on the lease, dark as instruments, stripped out rectangle of memories flashing like a stop. A word is an egg that gives birth to other eggs, and yet it always so far happens I do come back. The present air tattooed with everything before it, credibly obliviated skeleton, hysterical intimacy. Oh, ta, really, thank you. I told the swallow to fly to the solid cloud. I swallowed. Vehicular sight, smacking the doomed grass with a fresh coat of paint. Swimming in the air, albeit like a river rose skimming blue-white-gray tillage, I told the swallow, go there really fast. The swallow desired its own wings and swallowed. Thank you. a few things before our last reader the first of which is um, if you like this bookshop you must buy some books otherwise it will cease to be here do your Christmas shopping here I am spending $260 on Christmas shopping because I've got everyone in my family to give me $20 and I said I would buy a whole lot of second hand books and wrap them up and then we would sort of squabble over them after we'd unwrap them and I have to say it is complete genius so I recommend <laughs> that the rest of you also do that or at least buy a couple of books Yes, that is my begging plea. The other thing is, I think I mentioned it already, but Ears Wide Open, our podcast, is amazing. And if you listen to podcasts at all, you should listen to this. And if you don't listen to podcasts, go to our website and find it, and you can play it. It's on the homepage. Just scroll down a little bit. And you'll hear interviews with a bunch of people who've read today, and they say some really fascinating and amazing and just really interesting things, and it's quite a, um, we've got 27 episodes, and I've got a few more to put out, and we'll keep going, and it's quite an incredible record of the cultural milieu that is around this bookshop at the moment. Uh, some of the early episodes are a bit quiet, but just pump the volume right up, it's operator error. And now, our final reader... You all have done amazing. I will come back to say something else, because such is my want. Joseph Shapiro looking amazing in that beautiful dress. Hi. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. This is from a story called Under the Bridge. In the current economic climate, others might believe I was lucky to have a job. Not lucky, exactly. In my mind, you make your own luck with hard work and an eye for opportunity. While some used words like depressed and the worst outcome imaginable, with all my heart, I believed the change was whatever you made of it. Take my former colleague, Dave. He had been a lawyer in the same firm as me before the melt-up went full-on meltdown. Stock, market, stock markets evaporating, Hawaiian islands disappearing, bank accounts freezing. Now Dave lived under Grafton Bridge, the wild green space in the centre of the city, and he considered himself lucky. To my mind, that was an impressive feat of thought control, and I could only hope that if the tables were turned, I too would retain such a positive perspective. It was November. Work had been busy through the winter and spring, despite the significant changes to the economy. Contracts still needed to be worded, typed, signed and witnessed, Lawsuits were still lodged against deep-pocket corporates who then went looking for talent to Comois. So I hadn't thought of Dave in recent months. Then I found a brief from an old client in the files, with his client care and charge sheet attached. After a fit of mirth when I saw his standard hourly rate, 
I realized how alone I was in the office. The meeting room chairs were cold and empty. Desks were no longer desks without their computer screens lit or discarded takeaway coffee cups littering them. They were just tables now. No secretaries to tease about their tardiness. No juniors there to hear me vent my displeasure. No Pierre with whom I could engage in a passive aggressive nature. So I ventured down the valley to see Dave. It was not a trip I anticipated with much enthusiasm, but I felt compelled to visit, if only to quell my curiosity. What on earth could be going on with this man, substandard lawyer though he may have been? The walk from the road down the gully was strenuous, even in the dawn's cool air. The path was overgrown with all manner of spiky and frond-like greenery, and once I journeyed far enough into the growth, the lights from the city were obsolete. My cell phone had a torch app built in, and it was necessary to use this and keep my focus so I didn't trip over. Hard to believe my office was not far from here, in one of the high-rise buildings built alongside the gully. The sterile city felt far away when I was navigating untamed wilderness. I arrived bearing gifts. Although I might not be generous in the truest altruistic sense, turning up to a homeless commune with nothing to give seemed a touch rude. My gifts were simple, but I thought they'd be welcome. A thermos of chicken and noodle soup and shortbread biscuits. When we met, Dave didn't shake my hand. There was no time for formalities. He snatched the gifts from me and held them close to his chest. I didn't remember him being so territorial in the office environment with anything, edible or otherwise. How's life, Dave? I asked. Could be worse, he said. Could be much worse. Thank you. What a complete pleasure. Now, if anyone wants to read again next year, just email me, anna.livesy at gmail.com and let me know. What we've got now is ham and tofu sandwiches. There was some gluten-free bread. There was some butter. There were various sauces. There was ham and tofu. And if you're not happy with that, there is candy floss. <laughs> and if you're not happy with that, there's wine. And if you're not happy with that, I cannot help you. Uh, oh, and there's brownies made by Audrey Tam, because she shows... Yes, there'll be a three lengths reading next year, but I don't know anything else about it yet. Paula, what else shall I say? Late February. Late February. Yes, anything else I should say? That's it. That's okay. We know. <laughs> it's going to be amazing, and it will be here. Yeah, there'll be free wine, as always. It's the main feature, right? So, go and have a sandwich. Enjoy yourselves in the back garden. Um, let me know if you want candy floss because I'll turn the machine on and it'll fly over. It's pretty amazing. And buy some books. And when the party's over, I'll chuck you all out. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs>